0: hello and welcome to this episode of the future podcast my name is jeremy Bulleries, and every single week i bring you at least one new episode of the future podcast where i sit down with a guest and we talk about technology trends and where the future might take us and in this episode i sit with dustin a polymath and we talk about smart cities and where they might take us down the road I'm here with Dustin Miller, the Poly Innovator, and today we're gonna to be talking about smart cities and a few other things. So thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Um, so we're gonna hop right into it. We were just talking earlier about uh, smart cities and um, previously on the podcast, I was mentioning that I've talked about like 5G infrastructure and how that's going to greatly um, increase the, the, how we can have the, it's going to increase the speed in which we can access our data. Um, so let's talk a bit more about um, existing um, examples of that or uh, existing examples of cities that are increasingly smarter. Um, can you think of any like cities out there that are already increasingly getting smarter?
1: Yeah, uh, so we were talking about neon in uh, mm-hmm. the Middle East and yeah. a lot of other cities around there. Mm-hmm. One in particular that comes to mind is Barcelona as mm-hmm. well. Uh, and of course, Singapore, and that kind of thing.
0: Got you. Um, what are some of the things in those areas that they're already working on that are uh, significant improvements?
1: Overall, too, just being able to maximize transportation, mm-hmm. minimize any cost in that regard. Uh, getting like more automated systems in place, mm-hmm. like such as traffic lights and managing the traffic flow, so to speak. Mm-hmm. They're taking the big data and trying to optimize the flow of traffic via like uh, I can't speak. Mm-hmm. light signals and that kind of thing. Gotcha. And then as well as being more sustainable when it comes to the solar panels and using geothermal versus like fossil fuels and that sort of
0: thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're talking about like smart cities, do, uh, do you think it's easier to um, build them from scratch? Like the Neom deal that Jordan, I think it's Egypt, and Saudi Arabia are working on, and they're building that from scratch. Um, Or do you think it's easier to build on top of existing cities which already have some infrastructure um, and already have some sort of population density already there?
1: I have been thinking about this for a while because my city that I live in now uh, has been trying to uh, introduce like a lot of new smart aspects to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that due to the regulations and how populous evolve to new change like that it Mm -hmm. makes it hard for an existing city to develop in that way yeah Uh, but conversely it is obviously hard to get people to move to another city move to a smart city Mm -hmm. i know there's a lot of in china where they built like a fantastic smart city and people Mm -hmm. just aren't moving to it it's like countless money onto it too it's kind of like a social network That uh, building a new city from scratch Mm -hmm. is the best way to go
0: um i think yeah there i mean i think going from scratch we can there's a lot more that we can do obviously it might cost a lot more but I think effectively to bring people there there needs to be kind of like that network effect to actually bring people over or else you're not just going to have like a few people move over because if there's not already people there or community then it's hard for them to you know it's there's not yeah it might be a cool city but it's not um, it's not very attractive to them if there's not a lot of uh, people there already Um, so I guess an aspect that could uh, attract a whole community like at once or like uh, a lot more people that come in packs or at once um, so I think that's interesting um, I think I think this is interesting I don't know if this has been raised anywhere else but if we think about in the early I think it was in the 19 like early uh, 1900s there was um, extreme poverty in parts of Italy and it, right. it was around a million or two million people that came to New York City, which is why there's like 14, 15% of, of uh, New York City uh, with um, people that came from Italy. Um, do you think that having some sort of event uh, in nearby countries or, or whatever from these newly built cities could drive um, people from other areas to those cities?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that having some kind of call to action, some spark, I was even thinking that perhaps a company that built the city or something like that, a big company who could hire a lot of people, just as in the industrial revolution, many factories would be mm-hmm. popping up in certain cities and it would draw a lot of people from around there into mm-hmm. the major city, the urbanization of that. Mm-hmm. This could also be seen as like almost a neo urbanization mm-hmm. with these smart cities.
0: Got you. Um- so we talked a bit about IoT devices, like devices that are increasingly more uh, being connected to the internet, um, and s- whether some actually provide value or not, but they're um, adding extra like features or microservices to um, either existing devices or new devices like for example, um, like smart fridges. Uh, whether the features that are, are being added to them is extremely useful, is questionable in some cases, but um, right. but I mean, like, Facebook has their portal now, which is kind of... Uh, I mean, it's pretty early on, so who knows where that's going to go, but it's part of, like, your home, and, and you can, like... It's like a FaceTime. Like, it's dedicated for only FaceTime, but uh, we have, like... I, I think a lot of people are starting to get more uh, voice-enabled devices in their homes, um, like Alexa or... Um, Yes. Well, Siri, if, you're, you know, if you've you you if been using an iPhone or Apple products, uh, you've been familiar with Siri, but you know, Siri, um, Alexa, and the Google Assistant, um, yeah. obviously reduces the friction or the amount of um, the gap between you and the data itself. Uh, so right. what do you see the future of that um, being in terms of just a consumer aspect of things?
1: From a consumer standpoint, I think it's kind of interesting, Uh, Google actually sent me a Google Assistant this past Christmas for Mm -hmm. being part of their Google Fly program, their cell phone service. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I was wanting an assistant like that. I don't know if I wanted Alexa or if it would be Google Home, but in general, I wanted to have that communication tool. I wanted to be able to use that assistant for optimizing my life and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, from a consumer standpoint, I actually joined up with Spotify in order to actually go through. Google Assistant so I could have that music played
0: through that speaker. Mm -hmm. And so I became a customer of Spotify to do that. For that, yeah. Awesome. Um, I know you follow Gary Vee and he's talked a bit about um, how voice devices is gonna change the way that we build uh, brands for those of us that have companies. um, Whereas it's no longer really just building it on search because if you're building on search, you're kind of putting yourself uh, out of vulnerability there since that's not how companies are gonna function. it's going to be, you know, if people want to order cookies, they're, they're going to be like, hey, Alexa, order me cookies. But who's going to be the default brand? If it's not Amazon, um, their own cookie brand, then who's going to win that right. spot? So that changes the dynamic in how people are actually going to default. Plus, I think that's how uh, some of these companies are going to drive advertising dollars. Um, somebody's going to pay Amazon a shitload of money to be the default brand for cookies or yeah. whatever, you know?
1: It's going to change the way your advertising's played out as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember Gary actually talking about how um, you're not going to order a specific brand usually. Most people just want the of access, like you were saying earlier. They want to have that minimal uh, entry, so to speak, to get to what they want out of that service. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, hey, uh, A Word or Google or uh, Siri. Can we order me some toothpaste? Right? Mm-hmm. They're not going to genuinely say a brand. They don't, they don't care. They just want toothpaste because they're running out. Yeah. Or even they're, uh, perhaps their smart cabinet in the future. Or does it automatically? Order? automatically order. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. not going to choose what brand it's going to be. They're just going to get toothpaste sent to mm-hmm. the probably Amazon brand, no less.
0: Eventually, I basically. think it'll come around where we're wearing some sort of AR headset and it'll constantly learn from everything you do the movements, the places mm-hmm. you go, the things that it hears and it'll just like automatically learn like, oh, you like this brand of toothpaste, you know? yeah So eventually I think it'll close up, but.
1: I was just gonna say, I think that's how Google Glass was trying to like be portray themselves. Yeah. Trying to. The first Googles time around. Already tracking everything
0: I do. I tell you. Oh yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah. I mean, the first time Google Glass came around, I think it was 2007, and it, I think it was a bit <laughs> ahead of its time because. Yeah. It was um, like it was a great concept. I think a lot of people liked it, but nobody had really touched AR at a consumer level, anyways, because i mean yeah nobody really had that and then i think the one of the stepping stones was like ar filters like on apps like snapchat or instagram and that sort of thing And people were more intrigued by the idea and then um yeah so i think people were a lot more open to like something like google class but definitely a lot more wearables and smart devices and now at the time is a lot more right i think it's just for the technology and their whole user experience to improve for consumers to actually want to um, wear that all day. You know, Google Glass is more like a slight add-on. I don't look at it as really like a an AR glass. I, I look at it as just like a widget for real life. Like there's there's not a whole yeah. lot of value out of there, but it is pretty cool, you know?
1: I think that if they made a new one, it might be cool. Mm-hmm. Well, and like you said, it came out so early on. Yeah. It was, uh, like you said, ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that two particular brands, Snapchat and Nintendo, spectacle companies, actually pioneered a lot of AR technology. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for the Snapchat app app. Mm -hmm. and the uh, Nintendo 3DS, Mm -hmm. that really pioneered a lot of AR technology. Between Mm -hmm. those two, I think it kind of commonized the idea.
0: Gotcha. Um, What are some other devices that you think are going to be increasingly on the rise? Whether we've had some version of introduction to them or um, you think they may have been you know, seen uh, in like a sci-fi light but haven't necessarily been uh, brought to light just yet. Like what kind of devices do you imagine that um, at a consumer level, most people will have either in their homes or, or um, around with them uh, throughout their day?
1: Uh. Really, it's kind of a basic idea, but VR technology is definitely on its rise, mm-hmm. and one thing that i really looking forward to that I think is going to be even more powerful than VR in a way, or part of it even, mm-hmm. is motion technology. So back in around 2010-2011, I saw this really cool motion controller on Kickstarter, mm-hmm. uh, I believe it's was called iMotion at the time, and right. essentially it was just three dots on the hand, you could wave in front of you, just like in, uh, what is that Tom Cruise movie? Uh, Minority Report I think it was Mm -hmm. he was basically controlling the screen with his hand gestures oh gotcha just like 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 Iron Man kind of thing yeah so kind of using motion control like that in a more common setting probably
0: I think that's pretty interesting too Um, so you think that the more devices that we can produce that just helps with efficiency and ease of use of whatever people are doing throughout their lives is what people are going to be attracted to most
1: Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be a little learning curve because a lot of people are so used to the old ways of doing things like Mm -hmm. touch screens or mouse and keyboard, so to speak, Mm -hmm. but I think there's going to be a kind of third wheel, so to speak, that's Mm -hmm. going to be pulling people towards that and eventually it's going to pull everyone to that field. I can't say what it is, either be motion technology or eye tracking, whatever that's going to end up becoming. Something's going to really be way better and Mm -hmm. it's going to finally pull everybody away from this old way of thinking.
0: Gotcha. Um, Do you think there'll be a point where people aren't using mouses and keyboards in the the not so long future?
1: Not so long. I mean, probably not. It's it's probably me being um, like an optimist to think Mm -hmm. that, but I do know that there was a keyboard that's essentially just rings on a finger Mm -hmm. and you would type it like you normally would. takes away the need for mouse or keyboard it just has the handles so.
0: mm-hmm. interesting um so you are a polymath right or on the way mm-hmm. to you
1: on oh, the way so to speak yeah
0: yeah so tell us about your journey and why you're going on that journey and just tell us a bit more about it for those who don't know what it is
1: yeah uh so polymath can be defined as a uh, someone who does many things. So poly comes from the Greek words of much and many, math meaning the, uh, something to do, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I pursued being a polymath because it just felt more natural. One of my first jobs, I had six positions at once. It really, I really loved that, and I love technology. And so I wanted to work towards innovation and technology by being a polymath, which came the idea of poly innovator. I actually wanted to work in smart cities. I wanted to be a polymath in smart cities. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find a degree at the time. This is a few years back, that could actually help me get towards that idea. So I took a polymath approach and just made my own degree mm-hmm. for that, and took every resource that I could find online, making use of every course and that sort of thing to become my own polymath of smart cities or innovation in this case.
0: Interesting. Um, so, is there any interesting projects that like you're working on, or you are like interested in working on um, that are you know, of interest to you right now?
1: Um, right now I've just been building out the websites and trying to create courses mm-hmm. based off self education, smart cities, uh a little bit of fitness and that kind of thing, taking a very polymathic approach to what I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. I have many interests, I want to be able to share those. And I think with the technology now, uh, you can really create whatever you want as long as it's good quality content, good quality courses, Mm -hmm. it's good. So there's plenty of learning systems online that I think that's another area that's increased in technology very much so in the past decade, and definitely going to evolve even more so.
0: Gotcha. Okay uh, so I was just kind of checking out your stuff and you on your website you were talking about like mo- modular um, like learning or like you know creating your own education through different pieces um, So obviously the educational system is kind of screwed up or like built for you know previous yeah. times like it's not very updated. Um, mm-hmm. If we're going to be building, cities of the future and creating more efficiency and ease of use for the people living in them. Um, Do you, what do you imagine the future of um, education for students are? Like I couldn't imagine kids are going to be sitting in a classroom um, with 30 other kids and the only thing they have in common is their age. Uh, I mean they all learn at different pace, different, they all have different strengths. They all, you know, they're, they're not all going to the same place, right? So, what do you imagine are some are going to be some of the changes in uh, learning like do you think it'll even be an institutional thing do you think it'll be more uh like a solo thing um do you imagine that we're all going to be just wearing vr headsets um or kids are just going to be putting on vr headsets and then their their learning's going to be tailored to them specifically uh yeah, the what are your thoughts information like the matrix yeah
1: <laughs> uh so there's a couple kind of points to make. I can't necessarily say if it's going to be introdu- uh, institutionalized or mm-hmm. not. I'm, for my brand, I've been creating that modular education as a key point of it. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to create that modular degree background so that in the future people want to pursue their own degree, so to speak. They can use this format, this framework that I'm creating mm-hmm. to kind of pioneer that. I know in Singapore, there's a school elementary school where they're actually using like ai and certain programs to kind of cater the learning to the students mm-hmm. so like i said i don't know how schools will be mm-hmm. i don't know how they're going to set that up if they're going to be still in that group setting mm-hmm. for humans we need that social interaction still yeah. but we do also learn best on our own mm-hmm. and so one thing that i see the master's degree turning into is being powered by ai down the line mm-hmm. right now it has to be self-curated you have to Basically, say like, oh, this is working for me. This is not. Yeah. But I think down the line, the AI is going to tell what you're learning well. How are you picking it up, and mm-hmm. then cater to you and adjust your learning, adjust your education to where mm-hmm. you need to go. Yeah. And that's where they're kind of going over there as well.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a big thing. Like, obviously, um, I'm not going to get too deep into this, but uh, whether you believe like a degree actually works or is meaningful or not, um, the People can always go and find, like, the information is out there. People can go and learn it, but can people structure themselves to have that motivation and to actually have, like, follow some sort of intuition to be able to find the information that they need and and put it together and, like, actually uh, have a package that'll um, be useful to them. Uh, So I think that that's self-curation the only issue with that is uh, a lot of people just won't have the motivation or the accountability to push through for, for something like that currently but I think if they have some kind of framework um, that helps them uh, self-curate or learn from them um, but is also efficient and is kind of on their own it's not part of an institution then I think that could work it could be a framework that could work at scale you know
1: Yeah, and I appreciate your input on that because I think that we're both kind of in the same mindset where it does take a lot of self-discipline to self-curate or basically put all that pressure on yourself. But uh, it is doable, and some of the most successful people in the past have been self-learners. They taught themselves. Mm -hmm. And I just wanna be able to help people like that have a framework or like you and I who want to learn more about smart cities or a person listening to this podcast, Mm -hmm. learn more about 5G and other technologies. Like someone had to come find your podcast or my podcast and be able to take that into their schedule, their daily lives. Mm -hmm. They could almost treat it as an educational experience if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. And this will kinda help get them on that role.
0: Awesome. Um, So when it comes to building cities, like we talked a bit previously, previously before the actual start of the episode on like transport's going to be something that's going to allow people to be much more efficient in my previous episode um with Kaelin I talked about uh you know we, we talked about some space stuff and how um we might be able to have people travel much quicker here with rockets but not actually leaving space which is pretty freaking yeah. crazy um or leaving earth Uh but yeah so do you imagine that we're going like do you, you know uh, elon's uh, hyperloop um yeah. yeah do you imagine that we're gonna have more of like underground systems type of thing or do you think we're gonna go more towards like rockets to have uh really quick speed um when it comes to like people just traveling and, and going uh, places or do you think it'll be like some sort of combination of both what are your thoughts on that
1: Uh, Depends on how long the travel is gonna be. I know that on a smart city scale, like just in the city internally, Mm -hmm. it's gonna be a little bit more complicated. There's gonna be bikes, there's gonna be scooters, there's gonna be self-driving cars, that kind of thing on a bigger scale. Uh, actually Hyperloop came to my uh, city to a college in my town and I went to their lecture and talked to them in person about it. Hyperloop themselves aren't really with Elon per se they both kind of have their own separate.
0: Not anymore government. I don't think so either. Yeah not anymore. Yeah.
1: But um, it is interesting how they're gonna pursue that. They're going to try to connect certain major cities and try to minimize the amount of time it takes to get between them. Mm-hmm. So St. Louis and Kansas City is what they're thinking of and mm-hmm. right in the middle is my city. Yeah. So they're gonna go through. And not all of it's underground, actually a lot of it might even be above ground, because it's easier to do that instead of digging a hole. Mm-hmm. So think yeah, it's actually going to be a lot easier to get to, um, to develop, because that's the biggest thing, getting the city ordinance to get the, the right to develop on that land, mm-hmm. or develop on some farm, that kind of thing, and be able to do that. I think that's the biggest hurdle for all these technologies, not the actual yeah. development of the space or more atmospheric, atmospheric-faring tech, it's more of just to be able to do it mm-hmm. legally.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, above ground, uh, there's, yeah, I mean, obviously there, it has its own challenges, but, uh, besides like regulation and other challenges, uh, you can just dig in terms of sust- sustainability, you can just dig a lot deeper than you can build high. So mm-hmm. I think that's why, uh, the whole network of like tunnels underground was a good idea because they can just have like many different channels, uh, um, below ground and it, Uh, On top of the land, you're going to have more meaningful stuff, maybe. Um, Yeah, so besides, like, um, if we're making things more efficient, we're obviously going to have a lot more automation with the rise of AI and just robotics making huge leaps and um, becoming a lot better. What do you imagine are some of the downfalls of um, having a lot more efficient cities? Like, yeah, sure, there's a lot of benefits, but what do you think are going to be some of the negatives from the inhabitants of those cities?
1: Uh, That's a really good question. There's two that come to mind. Firstly, uh, ownership of things. Mm -hmm. So there is a whole capitalistic idea of like, we want to own our own home, own our own car, own our own computer or whatever we have that mm-hmm. we own. Yeah. There's a kind of idea that we, we own that. We have that. That's yeah. a materialistic idea. Mm-hmm. But in the future I think that there's gonna be a lot of communal access to items. Mm-hmm. If you need a stove or a cook, it can be brought to you. Yeah. And I think that uh that's actually gonna expand greatly over the next few decades. Mm-hmm. And so like having that kind of ownership it's gonna be hard for people to swallow, hard pill. Because mm-hmm. they're not gonna own very many things, especially cars and transportation. Mm-hmm. They want that to be automated and safer. Yeah. Uh, The next thing would be privacy. A lot of people are worried about uh, cameras in the cities and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I'm not so much. I'd rather be safe, but I guess that's kind of more opinion-based.
0: Do you think? Obviously, like we're so much data is being recorded um, about us through you know all of our online lives, uh, everything we put out there, but you know through our searches, through voice data, through. Almost all, everything that we do, um, interacting with the web, there's some kind of data being recorded about us. Do you think that over time, yeah, uh, I think people's minds, obviously, like Google and Facebook and other companies have been recording data for quite a while, but it wasn't until like Gmail started using keywords from emails on Gmail uh, to for advertising, ad, ad targeting, um, and it wasn't until like Facebook Got kind of well. Got big press around um, the data that they were using, especially after um, the uh, um, that data scandal a few years back. Um, you went on mute there. I don't know what happened. Um, good. Oh, we're good. Uh, okay. Uh, so, yeah. Do Do you think over time people are just going to be a lot more open to the idea of their data being used because? People are still on the internet and voluntarily sharing their data, so there must be some openness to it.
1: Uh, that's a good question. I I think that we should be open minded to it. I know that's kind of hard for some people to swallow too. Mm-hmm. I think that over time we're gonna have to be. Mm-hmm. I, and I also think that people need to realize how much we already have been. Past two decades have been more and more of our information being sold and collected, and we've already quote unquote stole, uh, sold our soul to the devil. Uh, regardless if that devil is Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Google, um, I was actually having a debate with this with somebody who thinks that Google steals all the data mm-hmm. versus Apple does too, that Apple tracks all your data as well. Yeah. And so neither one of them is better than the other per se. It's just a matter of wh- which devil do you want?
0: Yeah. Um, besides like, yeah, their information is being used for advertisers to you know, be able to target uh, consumers better for, you know, whatever they're, they're trying to sell, um, do you think that it actually might actually be a better thing that the data is used and not? Because previously, if you if you don't have more targeted data, then what we found, anyways, from us like in the media space, is that we've noticed that people what would they hate more than their data being used to have more targeted ads, which they may think is kind of creepy, having a super targeted data that's like, wow, that's super relevant. Um, yeah they hate having ads that are irrelevant more than that
1: oh yes uh, I was watching a show the other day I actually haven't had cable television in probably a decade now but mm-hmm. I'll stream a show on uh, a particular network site and for the first time in ages I'll have an ad pop up mm-hmm. and the most annoying thing is like there's so much data that I've that they collected on me that they could easily get Google or some other company like even Yahoo mm-hmm. to say like hey this is what he likes send him ads towards that mm-hmm. meanwhile i'm getting ads on glade the uh the logic surgeon or some pharmacy uh tech job or so- something like that some random stuff that has nothing to do with me mm-hmm. and that's more annoying i think i do agree with that idea where mm-hmm. we want targeted i think so we have something it, knows us. It, it acknowledges us as a customer yeah and i think that helps a lot what's your opinion on that
0: Uh, My opinion is that uh, I think over time, especially with new generations, um, is like the older generations uh, start dying off more and uh, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, People are going to be a lot more open to it. I think at some point we might even reach a point where, uh, you know, the kids down down the line look back and they couldn't even imagine a moment where um, their data wasn't being recorded. Like it'll just be natural to them. Um, So, yeah, I think that it'll be. super accepted uh, down the line, but also I think it'll open the door to make super personalized experiences for people. So if we're uh, constantly in, in in AR world, um, whether we're wearing some kind of headset or we have like uh, contact glasses or we have surgery on our eyes to implant these devices that so we can see digital assets. But uh, I think that through, you know, whether it's advertising or just everyday things, we'd be able to personalize the the world around them that they're traveling through to that individual, not just on the computer screen or wherever. Like, so (laughs) they can constantly improve their lives, not just through efficiency of things, but presenting them with relevant information. And um, yeah, I think that's another element needed to close the gap between us um, and, and our data.
1: Yeah, definitely. And uh, you will even thinking how the future generations might be used to the data collection. Mm-hmm. I would argue that Gen Z, and perhaps even millennials at this point, since we're both digital natives, mm-hmm. that we're already kind of used to it. Yep. I have no problem with my data getting collected, and I know mm-hmm. I'm a little bit like open-minded or optimist in that regard. I know it's being used in some of the various ways at times, but mm-hmm. for the most part, it's being used to target stuff that I want to see. If I yep. saw some... Uh, product on Amazon Mm -hmm. and I get an ad for it on Facebook, I'm not going to be that mad about it. It might even be helpful to remind me like, hey, I actually did really want that, Mm -hmm. but I forgot to give it. Yeah. Uh, And Gen Z is already just basically, they don't even read the terms and conditions. They just say, yes, okay, let me sign up for this app or something like that. Mm
0: -hmm. I think the people that are really uh, actually bothered by it, I I think there's a lot of people that say they're bothered by it, but they'll still keep using those products. Um, I think the people that actually get mad are people that are actually doing something and um, kind of, sh- they don't want to shine a light on that. But two, uh, which is, the, I think, the, the biggest part, is people who think that the data is being seen by actual people. Like, they think that somebody's sitting there and actually just like, oh, you're doing this, you're doing that, and like, but, you know, it's all computed and nobody's actually looking at your shit for the most part, you know?
1: the only thing I can think of where someone's actually looking at it is, is Amazon voice data. On Facebook. Yeah. And even then, that's a specific case.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, sometimes the companies will look at certain like samples or whatever, like, uh, there was some press around Amazon employees looking at, um, voice data from, uh, Alexa, um, for the, for like testing and improving the product itself, which, you know, I think is a little, Wild to have in the press. I, I'm not sure that's something I'd want in the press if I was developing that kind of product. But, um, but I mean, for the most part, you know, nobody's nobody's cares about what other people are searching unless you're doing something corrupted or off there.
1: Yeah, like the whole idea, like don't check my search history. But really, there's nothing to really worry about search history so as long as you're not doing anything nefarious, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing, actually, to bring up Gary V again, he mentioned at one point how the internet is like. People think that the internet's changing us, but it's not Mm -hmm. really changing
0: anybody, it's It's just exposing us. Yeah, it's amplifying who we actually are.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. So do you think that if we're a lot more open, um, well, okay, so actually I want to hop into something uh, else there. So if everything's going to be a lot more efficient, there's obviously going to be a lot more automation and things. So um, people won't need to work nearly as much. Um, what do you think people, do you think it'll be harder for people to find kind of a, a life's purpose or like um, the reason why they should live? Or do you think you're just gonna spend more time um, with the people around them and that sort of thing? Like, what do you think those people are going to use that extra time for?
1: There was, that was kind of a loaded question there. So you basically you're saying like, uh, with all this automation mm-hmm. and change of ease. Let's say that, that-
0: money's, not, mo- money's not an issue. Like I, I think we're gonna have, um, uh, like a universal inside? basic income, like most people are just going to get some income because, um, uh, you know, things are going to get a lot cheaper since uh, because of the automation, but also at the same time, they're going to have a bit more time. So it kind of balances out. Um, but I'm wondering, like, are people going to be um, worried that or because they, they can't pursue certain things um, that they it'll be harder for them to find a life's purpose? Or do you think they're just going to use the time to enjoy their lives more and, and do more meaningful work?
1: I wanna say yes to both, but I think that it's more of a third option. I think it's more of we're gonna have the time to do more things. We're gonna have time to solve more problems. Hmm. I, I, there's a boundless list of things that we need to solve in the world, whether it's cancer or some kind of other disease yeah. or become, just colonizing other planets. There's problems that we need to spend time on that current, current systems in place, military, government, those block our ways of doing those innovations, so mm-hmm. to speak. And with the change of automation, a lot of those old systems of thinking, perhaps even government in the way we know it, or Mm -hmm. military in the way we know it, won't have a need to exist in that way. And so we'll have time, and not only that, plenty of people pursuing different goals. Mm We don't want conflict between us. We need to find the conflicts will be the problems that we're trying to solve, Mm -hmm. not the conflict between each other. Gotcha. I think we'll have a better focus. Mm
0: -hmm. So if... Um, well, obviously like uh, to automate things you need to have some kind of workflow um, and like a lot of data if you're using AI to, uh, to do things. Um, do you think that we're just going to be, I guess, using, uh, just to kind of build on top of your answer, do you think we're just going to be using that time more effectively to also work on just m- more meaningful problems, like you were saying, like cancer research or whatever, like things that, are, that actually matter, not dis- distractions?
1: Yeah, I think we will. I don't know how long it'll take to get there, though. Because mm-hmm. I think that's definitely where we're going to end up. That's going to be the At some point, point yeah. so to speak, on this scale that we're thinking of. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if it's going to be within the next couple of decades because smart cities will be on the rise and we'll have the ability mm-hmm. to do so. Yeah. Or if it's going to be f- ignited from smart cities 100 years from now, or something like that.
0: Yeah. I think if we're definitely going to go to and colonize other planets, like, for example, like, we're going to be building smart cities from the start. So I think that'll be... Uh, more of a proof of concept that well, I, I don't know what the time frame is for those things, but let's say we go to Mars and we start building like a smart city there and we actually start moving and and uh, have a growing population over there, then I think that that'll be kind of the proof of concept or the model that stuff on earth is gonna be based off of. yeah, yeah. Definitely. anyways before we wrap up this episode um, is there anything that you want to tell the audience like what you've got going on with um, kind of like your programs and the things on your site
1: yeah um, so lately I've been trying to create content it's been a little uh, sparse but one of the things I've been working on is the documentation so you were asking about the polymath math earlier mm-hmm. I went and created documentation and definitions for polymath and even jack of all trades and gentleman scholars, all these concepts of being uh, multi-talented, mm-hmm. or even just comes down to modular education too. So those are kind of the main two goals at the moment. I created a course based off self-education that people can take for free. Uh, beyond that, that's basically it.
0: Awesome. Uh, I want to thank you so much for joining me, man.
1: Thank you, sir, for having me, Jeremy.
0: Yeah, no worries. We'll awesome. talk soon. Uh, Actually, before we go, uh, do you want to tell them where they can find you, like your social and that sort of thing?
1: Um, I'm found on pretty much all major platforms and a lot of uh, blockchain platforms as well Mm -hmm. at Poly Innovator.
0: Awesome. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for coming on, man.
1: Thank you.
0: All right. We'll talk soon. And that will be all for this week's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you want to find the latest episode, you can go to JeremyBullerys.com or give me a follow on Spotify. And if you have a recommendation for a guest or a suggestion for a topic, you can tweet at me at J-E-R-E-M-Y-B-O-U-L-E-R-I-C-E or send me an email at jeremy at newcrowd.co.